I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. And if you want to grab the Bible that's in that pew rack right in front of you, if you turn to page 909, that is where you will find uh, Acts chapter 1. And whether you use that, the app on your phone, the Bible that you brought with you, uh, we would love for you to find Acts chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word today. uh, Because it's a new year. First time I get to preach in 2023, uh, but my opening comments are the same. Uh, And so if you're a guest with us, maybe you're checking us out online, we want you to know that we believe that this Bible that we are opening is the inerrant, inspired Word of God Himself. Uh, We have nothing to say today unless it comes from this book. We believe that God has revealed Himself to us through His Word so we can know Him and we can love him, and we can follow him, and we can worship him. And we believe so much in the sufficiency of Scripture that we don't think that what I have to say today matters at all unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. We want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. And so we want you to see God's word for yourself today from Acts chapter 1. We'll have the verses on the screen as well. And, And we always like to start Uh, each year by focusing on our mission as a church. And and so if you are new to our church within the last year, or maybe you're just checking us out now, uh, this morning is a great opportunity for you to hear what we want to be all about. Uh, not, not what we claim to do perfectly, but, but this, is, this is what we are aiming towards as a gathering of believers. And, and if you are part of our church family Uh, mornings like today are essential for us as as we seek to be unified in our priorities and in our passions. Because if we are going to be successful as a church, which which is not a building, I hope hope you've heard us say that before, church is not a building, uh, it, it is a gathering of believers, wherever that may be, and our success depends on us being unified in our mission. And our mission at First Baptist Church, the reason why we exist is to make more and to make better followers of Jesus. That's why we're here, to make more and to make better followers of Jesus. And and lots of things can change year over year. Uh, Programs can change, uh, people change, styles change, but the Great Commission has not. And and we take our marching orders from Jesus' last words before his ascension into heaven. Uh, We we see these words in a few different places in, 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 in in our scriptures, but Matthew 28 is where we often go. Matthew 28, this is on the screen, 19 and 20. Jesus says to his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And by the way, the therefore is there because Jesus had just said that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So so this mission is not our own idea. 
It, it comes from the command of Jesus. We, we believe that he is better than anyone and anything. We believe that Jesus has all authority and power. We believe that Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. We preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, and we want everything we do to draw others to him and then to help us draw closer to him as well. So, so if you ask the question, why do we have ministries for adults? Why do we have ministries for students? Why do we have ministries for kids? Why, why do we have ministries into our community? Why, why do we support missionaries in the United States and around the world? In every area, the answer is the same. We want to make disciples who make disciples. We want to make more and better followers of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this morning... I want us to go to the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, where Luke, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. Luke gives us an additional perspective on Jesus' last words to his disciples before his ascension into heaven. And, and I come at weeks like this when we're talking about our mission and making more and better followers of Jesus, and, and I come at this knowing that as a pastor, I think I'm expected to be passionate about this. Right? I'm expected to be passionate about our mission. Something would be very wrong if I wasn't excited about this. Uh, but I desperately want this mission to be the mission of your life. Like, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. I don't want you to just look at, oh, that's a nice thing that this church does. I desperately want this to be the mission of your life. Not just the mission of the church you are a part of, because I believe this is what we are all called to as followers of Jesus. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, so we get the full context of what's happening, what Jesus is saying, and then we're going to work through parts of of Acts 1 together. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That first book that Luke is referencing is the Gospel of Luke, So he wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts, and he's writing it to this person named Theophilus. And so he says, okay, in the first book, in the Gospel of Luke, I covered all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is instructing the disciples to wait in Jerusalem after he leaves until the Holy Spirit comes. And so so based on that instruction, here's the disciples' question. So when they had gathered, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There are three aspects of this passage I want us to consider this morning as we think about our mission as a church. I want us to think about the kingdom coming, the Holy Spirit arriving, and the witnesses going. The kingdom coming, the Holy Spirit arriving, the witnesses going. And Luke tells us that in Jesus' appearances to the disciples after his resurrection, he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Right? Why do we sing songs like, build your kingdom here? Why do we have kingdom language in, in what we're talking about on Sunday mornings? It, it's because Jesus prioritized and emphasized the kingdom of God. This was a theme throughout his ministry. As John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to come, what did he say to people? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Get ready. Jesus' first documented sermon in all of scripture that we have for us is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, so when they'd come together with Jesus for the last time, this side of eternity, I like that Jesus' earthly ministry started with him teaching about the kingdom of God. And it ended with him teaching about the kingdom of God. When he appeared to them over this course of 40 days before his ascension, what's he teaching about? It's all about the kingdom of God. And so when they come together for the very last time before Jesus' ascension, Luke tells us in verse 6 that they asked Jesus, will you at this time... Restore the kingdom to Israel. And I must admit that I used to make fun of the disciples for asking this question. Those silly disciples, right? Because over the course of 40 days, Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then the question they ask him is, is it now? Is it, is it now? And, and I thought that Jesus, when they asked this question, must have been thinking, weren't you paying attention the last 40 days? Right? Like, I've been teaching you about this, right? And that's, that's what I thought Jesus' response uh, was uh, in between the lines. Uh, but other Bible teachers have corrected my thinking on this as I've studied this week. Uh, because I would say that what they ask in verse 6 seems to be the natural question based on Jesus promising the arrival of the Holy Spirit in verse 5. And, and I say that because when restoration was promised to God's people back in the book of Ezekiel, the, I, I want you to see on the screen what the Lord had said through his prophet. This is a time when Israel was going into captivity, being judged, and this is the promise that you have in Ezekiel 39, 25 through 29. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. 
When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands through and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore. And then here's where the question comes from. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So if the disciples know that promise, right, and they hear Jesus after teaching about the kingdom of God say, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in verse 5 of Acts chapter 1 in just a few days, I think the natural connection that they make in their minds is that this political national restoration is coming, right? It's about to take place. Uh, And so they ask, does that mean it's time, Jesus? Are you going to usher in the kingdom now? I think it's a reasonable question. And I think Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom of God, but probably not about the timing of when all of that would take place. And Jesus has to burst their bubble a little bit in verse 7. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And my understanding of what Jesus is saying is first, no, it's not time yet for me to usher this in. And two, the timing is not what his disciples need to be concerned with. The timing of the kingdom is not what he wanted his disciples to focus on. But this emphasis that Jesus places on the kingdom of God should not be lost on us as we consider the mission that we have been given. Why do we want other people to become followers of Jesus? Why why don't we just let people believe what they believe and and we can believe what we believe and we can keep our thoughts to ourselves? Why why would we risk offending people? Uh, why Why would we imply that we know better than someone else with different beliefs. It's because we don't just believe that Jesus was a good teacher, and we don't just believe that he had a great perspective on morality or social issues or whatever else. We don't don't just believe that Jesus was killed as an innocent man. Uh, We spent the month of December seeing who Jesus is from Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and I hope that was helpful for you because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is first in rank and priority over all creation. He's he's the creator of all things. He's preeminent in everything, the fullness of God dwelling in him. He's risen from the dead, having made peace by shedding his own blood to reconcile all things to himself. We don't just believe that Jesus was a good teacher or, or a folk hero on steroids. No, we believe that Jesus is king. We believe that he is king, and not just over a certain region, but over all of creation that he himself has made. We believe that he is the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of everything. And he ascended into heaven, and he's returning the same way that he left, to establish a kingdom to end all other kingdoms. That's what we believe. Jesus is going to return and establish a kingdom to end all other kingdoms. Every knee will be forced to bow before him. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And entrance into his kingdom is available. But it isn't gained based on what we have done. 
It is through faith in what Jesus has done in our place. And, and what emerges when followers of Jesus gather as the church should be a preview. This should be a preview of that coming kingdom. Our times together should be an imperfect but improving picture of what does it look like when Jesus is in charge. What does it look like when Jesus reigns? That's what people should see in our individual lives and our collective church family. And for all who become citizens of his kingdom by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have been given kingdom invitations to share with others. We have good news that every earthly kingdom is passing away, right? So all the corruption, all the hunger for power, all the issues that you see politically, nationally, all this garbage, right, that we look at in the news on an everyday basis that drives everyone crazy, good news, that's not going to last forever. Isn't that good news? Right? That's not forever. These power structures, these dynamics, they're not going to last forever, but you can be a citizen of a greater, much better kingdom. That's the good news that we have for people. If you bow your knee and your heart to Jesus as king now, you become part of his eternal kingdom. When we share Jesus with others, we are inviting them to be a citizen in what Jesus is going to build and what Jesus is building now and what he will rule over forever. And if you're wondering, if the kingdom hasn't come yet, Right? And it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus made this promise in Acts chapter 1. Uh, how can we know for sure that it ever will? Right? What assurance is there of the promise that this is coming? You guys ask great questions. Let's look at the answer to this. <laughs> Acts 1.5. Jesus said, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The assurance that the kingdom is coming is in the Holy Spirit arriving. The assurance that the kingdom is coming is found in the Holy Spirit arriving. I mentioned that Jesus had to burst the bubble of the disciples regarding the timing of the kingdom. But the consolation he offers is that the Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit's going to arrive, which is interesting. Because the question of whether Jesus would restore the kingdom now was a question of whether Jesus was going to seize power publicly. Right? I think the disciples were ready for Jesus to show everyone who's boss, right? They've been following this guy for three years. Jesus dies, he rises again, and he's like, Jesus, now's the time, man. Just show them who you are. We know, we believe, we're ready. Show your power. And Jesus' response was that he was going to share his power with the disciples for the sake of mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I appreciated, uh, I read this by Marshall Siegel. He, he put together a list of the times that Luke, in his gospel, had talked about power to help us realize what this power that Jesus promises is capable of. And so these are all going to be on the screen for you going through the book of Luke. This, this is the power that brought God himself into the world through a virgin's womb. Luke 1.35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power 
of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the power that cast out evil spirits and demons, Luke 4.36. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. The power Jesus promises us healed the lame and the sick, Luke 6.19. All the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. This is the power that reigns right now over all creation, Luke twenty two sixty nine. 69. From now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. This is the power by which Jesus will come again, Luke 21, 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And the same author, Luke, uses the same word, power, when Jesus promises that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He had promised, Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit in us would be better than him standing next to us. He said to the disciples, it's better that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come. And we believe that the Spirit of God indwells all who place their faith in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of us as Christians underestimating the power of the Spirit of God in us. Uh, Is it fair for me to say that many of us don't live like those verses we just read, and the power of God is true. Is that fair? And and it's starting to bother me. As Pastor John shared last week, he and I have been greatly challenged over the last six months through our involvement in in this thing we're doing called Disciples Making Disciples. And and one of the habits it has instilled in me is, is I don't go about the rest of my day until I have prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill and lead my life. I want to go where he wants me to go. I I want to see what he wants me to see. I want to do what he wants me to do. Why? Because the power of God's inside of me. Why, Why would I live based on my own strength if I have access to the Holy Spirit's power? And maybe you need to commit for 2023 to be the year that you start to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit instead of just relying on your own strength. And if you would say, okay, Pastor Tim, that sounds good because I feel pretty weak most of the time and I'm pretty tired. Somebody else's power operating within me sounds great, but like, what does that look like? And how do I do that? And what would that, what would that mean? And if, if that's a question that you would be asking yourself right now, we would love to have a conversation with you. You can let us know that on the communication card. We'd love to follow up. We want this to be as practical as possible for you. Uh, but maybe you've been living like you are powerless to overcome sin and to overcome temptation. Maybe you've been living based on your own plans and your own inclinations. But church, the Holy Spirit came to empower our lives. We should live like it. We should live like it. And Jesus says that he came to empower us for a specific task. Verse 8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you have the kingdom that is coming, assured by the Holy Spirit arriving to empower witnesses to be going. 
to empower us to be going. The Holy Spirit came to empower us to accomplish the Great Commission to go and make disciples who make disciples. And and the reason we view this promise, by the way, uh, of the Holy Spirit and the command to witness uh, as for all followers of Jesus and not just for the apostles, right? If if you're wondering, okay, how do we know that this wasn't just for those that Jesus was talking to right then and there? How do we know that this wasn't just for the apostles, but this can be applied to us as well? It's a good question. And, 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 And the answer is, it's because the scope of the witness, the scope of the mission Jesus gives them is not just in Jerusalem, where they were, or in all Judea, or even Samaria, The scope of the Great Commission is the whole world, to the end of the earth. So because the commission is to reach the whole world, we see the commission as for the whole church. You see that? Because we see the commission is for the whole world, we see that commission is for the whole church. And and, and I wonder if we have embraced the identity that Jesus gives his followers in verse 8. Jesus says, if if you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you believe that he is king, I have good news for you today. That means you are a witness. You are a witness. Uh, Usually we think of witnesses in what context? In like a judicial setting, right? They're in the courtroom because they saw what happened, right? And they give a testimony of what they saw. And they're asked questions and counterexamined, and they have to answer based to, on the best of their ability and the base, on, based on the best of their recollection. Or, or if there's a, a, a traffic accident, you hope that there's a neutral party who will stay and wait for the police to arrive so they can be a witness to what actually happened, to what they saw. The apostles were witnesses of Jesus. They had been with him for three years. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles. But most importantly, they were witnesses of his resurrection from the dead. They had seen him die, and they had seen him raised back to life again. And and they were about to see him ascend into heaven, promising to return. And so this is why, even under great persecution and threats of death that were eventually carried out, the apostles refused to stop talking about Jesus. Why? Because they were witnesses. They had seen the risen Christ. They couldn't deny it. They had to tell people about it. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have not seen Jesus with your physical eyes yet, but the Holy Spirit has opened your spiritual eyes, the eyes of your heart, to see Jesus for who he is, to see him as king. And you are witnesses to the transformation that has taken place in your life as a result. And so maybe for some of you, that change has been pretty dramatic, right? And maybe for others, it was gradual. Maybe for some of you, it happened when you were older, Others of you, it happened when you were younger. But we are witnesses who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of reaching the world. And and when we talk about telling other people about Jesus, hopefully you've heard this from from me already, but I, I never want us to replace witnessing with inviting. Because I think a lot of times people view witnessing as just inviting their friend to church So a professional can tell them about Jesus. And I'm the professional, so just invite everyone here, and I'll take care of this, guys. I got this. Right? Um, No, nope, that's not the plan. 
in case you didn't realize it. Uh, If someone invited you to come today, I'm so glad that they did, and I'm so glad that you're here, and that's great that they did that. But when we think about accomplishing our mission based on the great commission that Jesus has given us, I want to encourage you that you are not empowered by the Holy Spirit to just invite someone to come to church. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness and invite someone to come into the kingdom of God, you have a story to tell of what Jesus has done in your life. And you probably know someone that would never come here on a Sunday morning, but they would listen to you tell your story. They would give you a couple minutes of their time so you can tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Uh, And if you know that Jesus is king and that his kingdom is coming, then you are a Holy Spirit-empowered witness One conviction I had last year was that I was not being enough of an intentional witness just in my day-to-day life. And so what I've had to do is I've had to change my schedule, and I've had to change my routines to create margin in my life for opportunities just to tell other people about Jesus. Why? Because I'm a witness, right? And and it's been challenging, and it's been exciting. Uh, This week I was walking and and praying in a a neighborhood uh, that the Lord's laid on my heart, and, and I got to have a great conversation with a young lady uh, who's just trying to figure her life out. And I got to share my story with her of what Jesus has done for me. I got to pray with her. And, and the results are out of our control. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who opens spiritual eyes to see Jesus. But this is why I'm here. I, I, I'm a witness. And this is the mission, to make more and better followers of Jesus. And if we don't think there's anyone in our community that God wants us to witness to, then I would just say, you should move somewhere else. If you don't think that there's anyone around you, if you don't think God has anyone to share your story with, or anyone to reach out to, or anyone to show Jesus with, I'm I'm encouraging you, move somewhere else. right? Because the places that we live, the family you are in, the job you have, the restaurants you go to, God has people for us to reach with the good news of the gospel. We have not been told to wait until they come to us. We have been told to go to them. And A lot of times we don't even have to go very far, if we're honest. Your regular daily routines probably involve brushing shoulders with lost people. A lot of times you don't even have to leave your house, right, to be able to share the good news with Jesus of someone that needs it. Uh, One of the realities of doing foster care uh, that Becca and I have done for however many years it's been now uh, is, is we have a lot of people, social workers, therapists, a lot of people are at our house on a regular basis. And, and sometimes I come home, and I, I never really know who's going to be there if I haven't checked the schedule that my wife puts it on because she's more organized than me sometimes. Uh, and so, and, and I just have to confess that sometimes uh, that gets old, right? And I find myself, especially after years of doing this, looking forward to when all these different people would leave our house so we can do whatever we had planned to do as a family for that day. Uh, but this last year, the Holy Spirit convicted me, I think saying, Tim, uh, I'm bringing people who need to know Jesus into your house, and you're anxious to get rid of them. I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty pathetic when I say it out loud, you know. <laughs> Probably shouldn't do that, you know. Um, and, and so now, instead, I'm praying, I'm praying for opportunities to share Jesus with them. Like, okay, if they're going to be in our house, and if this foster care case is just going to keep going on and on and on, well, those social workers, they're going to hear Jesus from me. 
Because they're coming to me. They're right here. What are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, and, and we're asking them how we can be praying for them as a family. And, and there's just opportunities all around us. And I don't know about you, but I want the Holy Spirit to help me see them this year more than ever before. Even if it's inconvenient and even if it's out of my comfort zone. Because we have the greatest news ever to share with a world who is so desperate for hope. We live in a country that I believe, by and large, still wants God to be real. Here's my evidence of that. Just this week, we almost saw a horrific tragedy play out on a football field on Monday night. I'm sure most of you have heard about that or you were watching it live uh, when DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills went into cardiac arrest on the field. And they were doing CPR on the field for nine minutes. And you saw the look on his teammates' faces and how terrified they were. And it's amazing that he's recovering now. He sent out a tweet the other day, and I was like, this is awesome. Um, But for those who are watching that unfold, what did everyone do in the moment of crisis? They prayed. Isn't that amazing? Right? They prayed. Uh, And and not just the players on the field, right? Uh, uh, An analyst prayed out loud for DeMar live on ESPN. I just stopped the show, and, and prayed. And, and I'm pretty sure plenty of people on that field didn't know who they were praying to, but when confronted with how small and how helpless and how fragile we are, we want to know. I think humanity wants to know that there is someone greater who can help, right? There, there's a longing in all of our hearts for God to exist and for God to be great and for God to be good. And he is, and he does exist. And he's so much better than most of us realize. And the good news of the gospel is that even though we had rebelled against his authority, we we don't naturally want God to be in charge. We think we know better. We want to do things our own way. And so we have all rebelled against him. But even then, Jesus, God himself, came on a rescue mission from heaven to seek and to save those who were lost. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I failed to live. And then Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die. He took the just punishment for the sins we had committed against him on himself at the cross. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin in the grave. This is the gospel that everyone so desperately needs. No matter what you've done, no matter the guilt you carry with you this morning, if you place your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, if you come to the end of yourself and you say, I can't do this, Jesus, I need you All your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to your account. You become part of the eternal kingdom of God. And until Jesus returns, you have a mission. Because after Jesus appeared to hundreds of people as proof of his resurrection, and after he taught his followers about the kingdom of God that is coming, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Even Phillipsburg, New Jersey and Eastern Pennsylvania. And then he ascended into heaven. And his followers gathered in a room and they waited. Because that's what Jesus had told them to do. Because they couldn't accomplish this mission in their own power. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 2, we read about the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming. And they went out from that room they had been gathered in 
and they changed the world. And they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And, and sometimes I wonder if the church today looks more like the disciples in Acts 1. We come together in our safe place, and we wait for something to happen, and we're not sure what, right? but it's comfortable here. And, and maybe we'll invite someone to come here on, on our turf because it's scary out there, right? Instead of living in light of the reality that the Holy Spirit has come so we can go and make disciples who make disciples. And I would just love to see what the Holy Spirit would do if we individually and collectively committed to his mission this year. We are empowered witnesses who are going to tell of the king who is coming. Do you believe that? That we are empowered witnesses who are going to tell of the king who is coming. This is the mission we believe Jesus has given us. This is the mission of our church. And I want it to be the mission of your life. I want it to be the mission of your life. So will you join me in praying for the Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses for him this year? Let me pray for us. And Sarah's going to sing. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the hope that we have because Jesus is alive and Jesus has conquered sin in the grave and Jesus has promised to return. And one day, all these power struggles and, and all this garbage that is, that is nations rising and falling and wars and just all this endless conflict, all the brokenness will be done away with because you will reign. And you are good. And we get to be part of that eternal kingdom simply through faith in you instead of ourselves. And I pray that we would not just seclude ourselves and stay where it's safe and stay where it's comfortable. I pray that we would not live like we were powerless. But I pray that we would believe that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and to share that life-changing truth with those that are around us. So would you open our eyes to see the opportunities that you have for us to make more and better followers of Jesus? I pray that people would see less of us and they would see more of you because of how much you are controlling our lives. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.